You're listening to Podcast by Committee, produced by Starting Five Productions. And now, here's Andrew and Max Brill. Thank you, Mason, as always, for the introduction, and welcome back to Podcast by Committee. I'm one of your hosts, Andrew Brill. And I'm Max Brill. Max, as we sit in a precarious time in our country, we are watching, of course, the second impeachment trial of our former president, but there's other national issues, I guess, and one of them is the national anthem that uh, doesn't get or is played at sporting events. But while we talk about our country, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about some tennis that isn't happening in our country. No, yeah, the the tennis is going on in Australia, which is, this is probably one of my favorite tournaments of the year in tennis, just because there's not a whole lot of occasions on which you can watch tennis from 7 p.m. to 5 a.m., which I I think, I mean, I think everybody is as hyped about that as I am, really. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's it's been a really fun tournament to watch so far. Roger isn't playing, but aside from him, all the heavyweights are are still duking it out for the title over there. This is obviously just the first week, and there's been a couple good matches. Uh, Probably the most notable match so far was Stan Wawrinka losing in five sets. And he has won the Australian Open before. He's a three-time major champion. He lost to uh, Martin Fucevic in five sets, and they went on to a a fifth-set tiebreak. That was easily one of the best matches that I've ever watched at the Aussie. Uh, But I think one of the things that made it especially great was that it went on past midnight. So I was you know, watching that for a very long time because it went on for a very long time. And uh, I'm looking forward to later in the tournament when I have the privilege of waking up at like 3 a.m. to watch Novak face Rafa or whatever the case may be. But yeah, just a fun tournament. Um, uh, I'm excited to see how it plays out. There's been a lot of good tennis so far. Serena and Osaka have both been playing really well. Uh, Both of them will play tonight, Thursday night. So by the time this is published, they will hopefully have advanced on to the next round. And, you know, aside from that, we're just kind of Waiting to see what happens, but it's been good tennis so far. Yeah, second round, Novak Djokovic was taking a four sets. You know, Djokovic, the one seed overall, for the, uh, he was taking a four sets by Francis Tiafo. Uh, that was one set apiece, and then a tiebreaker in the third set, and then Djokovic warmed down and won the fourth set. So that was probably one really good match. I have not seen uh, Shapovalov play, but he won his second round match in straight sets, one, three, and two. You know, there's a Rublev uh, won in straight sets in his second round. Last set was a tiebreaker, 10-8. So there has been some some good matches. Uh, Medvedev won convincingly in his uh, second round match. So it's been uh, there's been some pretty good tennis. Of course, Rafa won easily, one four and two against an American. A qualifier, so you would expect that. But some good third round matches coming up. So if you're up late or have insomnia, and not the cookies, of course, but if have insomnia and don't have a ton to do, certainly uh, check out the tennis. Yeah, if I can just add one more thing, real quick. Stefano Sitsipas, who's uh, the number five overall seed on the men's side, won his first round match six one six two six one against Jill Simon from uh, France, who is a former top 10 player, if I'm not mistaken. And after the match, I think this was probably my favorite moment of the tournament so far. After the match, uh, the reporter asked him something to the effect of, did you expect that it would be this easy for you? And he was like, well, I mean, like, yeah, a little bit. And he was just very, uh, 
very frank, I think, with ha- how he played. I mean, he played really well, but he was uh, not really his normal humble self. He kind of was basking in the, the glory of his win. And then in the second round, maybe that came back to bite him a little bit because he got taken to five sets by the nasty Kokonakis. But it, it, it was really awesome to watch the, the press conference from Tsitsipas's or I guess it was the post-game interview from Tsitsipas's round one match. And on the women's side, uh, you know, Simona Halep advancing, but took her third three sets in the second round. Serena Williams and Serena Williams advancing three and love. 40 years old, Serena Williams. And as we've seen, age is just a number because someone just did it in the NFL at the age of 43. And we'll get into that a little bit later as we talk about the Super Bowl and kind of swallow our predictions a little bit because neither one of us saw coming, although I did explain that it could be coming. But, you know, the Australian Open, certainly a lot of fun to watch. Tennis is on the horizon, which means that maybe it'll start getting warmer around here. I know in the Northeast it's cold. We've had a lot of snow. We have more snow on it on the way. Uh, it's cold in the Midwest, too. Oh, <laughs> so, so, much for, so much for a mild winter. We got a, another two to three inches uh, overnight last night, and they're predicting some more by the end of the week so or early next week. But It's a oh. scorcher here right now, just so you know, 22 <laughs> degrees. Ooh, there you go. I think it's about 34 here, so some of this snow is melting. I was actually, it was a light powdery snow, Max, so I was able to brush off the steps with a broom. I didn't have to use the shovel, so that was nice. And then, you know, getting the sidewalk clean, I had to use the shovel a little bit. I did use the broom, but used the shovel a little bit because people had walked on it already. So it was it wasn't as light and fluffy as it was for the the steps who had nobody had walked on. But uh, that's what's going on around here. Uh, like I said earlier, a lot of angst in our country and some angst in the NBA, Max. And there's been some controversy uh, surrounding. Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavericks, and something that they did uh, with a preseason game that I guess carried over to a regular season game. And when you hear Mark Cuban talk about it, it wasn't really a conscious decision or a final decision that was made because no fans were in the building. But I'm talking, of course, about the playing of the national anthem, which they stopped doing with a preseason game. And to hear Mark Cuban talk about it, it was a, a community thing. They were listening to people in the community. Some people in the community said that the national anthem didn't represent them any longer. And there was never a a final decision not to play it. They knew at some point fans would come into the building and they knew that it was an NBA policy to play the uh, national anthem. Now, the national anthem, you know, since I'm a little kid, it's played everywhere. I mean, it's, you know, it's a thing now. And I think that with betting sites, it's even a thing when it comes to the Super Bowl. You know, who's going to beat Whitney Houston's record for the longest national anthem? But as someone who's a little bit younger, as you are, and has been around sports a lot and has been on the field with professional baseball players that have to line up before playing the national anthem, I wanted to get your take on where you stand with the national anthem and what it means to you. It's tough because for me... You know, I grew up around baseball and around the game and obviously have worked with Michigan and the Mets and it gets played before every Michigan baseball game, before every Brooklyn Cyclones game it was played and the players have their routines at Michigan. Everybody stands, you know, lined up, hand on the heart, other hand at your side and it's a, it's a tradition. You want the team to look good for the national anthem 
because it's teams that do the little things that end up succeeding. And there really is no such thing as a little thing. If you treat everything as important, you will have success. And that's one of the things that we've seen at Michigan. The team takes the national anthem and how they line up for that very seriously. And with the Mets as well, you know, players have their routines and and do that kind of thing. But I I honestly haven't thought about it that much, right? It's something that you grow up around. You know the national anthem is going to get played. But you kind of take it for granted, at least for me, I took it for granted. I think it was just, you know, another thing that we did before baseball games was we sang the Star Spangled Banner. And to see Mark Cuban making the decision to take it out of the Mavs pregame routine, I honestly don't have a huge problem with it because I think it should be left up to the, the teams to decide if they want to do that. There's not necessarily a reason to play the national anthem before the games, but at the same time, there's not necessarily a reason not to. So it's a very touchy subject for a lot of people because a lot of people think, you know, you want to be honoring the country before the game. And there are other folks who think that doesn't matter. Like we're playing basketball here. We're playing baseball here. The country is not, doesn't have a place in this. And in basketball, it's different because a lot of the players are Americans. But in baseball, I think around 40% of pro major league baseball players are not from the United States. So that's two out of every five guys on your team. Now, assume you have a 25-man roster. That means that 10 of your guys are not from the United States. And for them, you know, I've never spoken to any of them about this, but it's probably got to feel a little strange to be from a different country and have to listen to the Star Spangled Banner before every game. So there's a lot of things at play here, a lot of different areas to tackle. And you know, I, I'm just curious to hear your take because you obviously have had a lot more experience listening to the anthem than I have just by nature of being at baseball games for a longer time. And, you know, you were around when Vietnam was going on. So I'm sure there was some sort of sense of patriotism or not because there were a lot of, you know, people who were protesting the war. Like, I think in a time like 9-11, right, the first game after 9-11 when Piazza hit that home run in Chase Stadium, that would be a great time to play the national anthem, that sort of game. But every night, I don't know. Some people probably don't love it. So, you know, there's just a lot of different people who have a lot of different opinions and you're not going to make everyone happy. And just to take that one step further. Now, the national anthem is played before every hockey game, at least here in the United States. Now, if you're playing a Canadian team, obviously here in the States, the, the Canadian, the Canadian anthem is played first, but the U.S. only accounts for nearly 26% of the skaters in the NHL, but yet the national anthem is played before every game. So it, that, that's, you know, to further your point about, you know, Dominican or, or non-American baseball players, two out of every five, it's even, it's, it's hugely greater in the NHL. But yeah, I, thanks very much. I was alive during Vietnam and, and, do remember the end of it uh, nearly around 1971, I guess, but I was very, very young at the time. As a matter of fact, I used to eat lunch sitting uh, watching Jeopardy, and every once in a while they would interrupt Jeopardy to watch a plane land. And when the planes landed, they would take the, the caskets off the plane and, and they would scroll the names of the service people getting off the planes, uh, if memory serves. And I do remember part of that. But look, I love this country. It's a privilege to be in this country and to live in this country. And for some reason, you know, there's people who don't respect other people in this country. There's people who look differently at someone else that puts their pants on one leg at a time. And they've used the national anthem as 
a vehicle to, uh, I don't want to say protest, but get their message out. Whether they stay in the locker room at an NBA game, or they kneel at an NFL game, or they do something else during baseball games. I do remember, uh, I think it was Sharif Rahim, who is Muslim, at the national anthem, used to turn his back. You know, each team lines up at uh, the, the line where the free throw line is and, uh, you know, extend it. And they, they, they line up on the court sometimes. Sometimes they'll line up at the bench. And Sharif Abdul Rahim, instead of sitting because he's Muslim and didn't believe in that, I guess. It was it was actually Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. Uh, okay. Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. So. Pardon was me. A light, lights out shooter, by the way. Yeah, Absolute so, tank. So I, my apologies to Sharif Abdul Rahim uh, for, for signaling him out. But yes, there was a Muslim player who turned his back on the national anthem. Now, I, I think that's a little disrespectful. I, you know, if someone was playing his national anthem or something that he believed in and people were doing that, I don't think he would take kindly to that. So it's. Like I said, it's a privilege to be in this country. They've started playing the national anthem. Now, the national anthem wasn't, the Star Spangled Banner wasn't considered the national anthem until Congress made it so in 1931. But you go back to when it was played uh, during World War One, and then again in the at the World Series of in 1918, when it really, that's when it became a, a, a thing is during that World Series now, during that World Series, the third baseman for the Boston Red Sox was a Navy service person who was on furlough, so he was able to play baseball. Now, in the seventh inning stretch, when everybody was standing anyway, there was a band that decided to play the Star Spangled Banner, and everybody was standing anyway. So you have the third baseman from the Red Sox, Fred Thomas, saluting, and then other people put their hands over their hearts. At the same time. So it was played during the seventh inning stretch when everybody was was standing anyway. And then, you know, it became a commonplace thing during World War II. So that's when it became a thing. So th- there's no other time that people feel so strongly about their country than times of conflict. And yeah, that's and, when and they're your- pulling for. Or, or during well, so- the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> well, but to your point there, I mean, I, I think you could correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe that the NFL really started the tradition of playing this national anthem before every game. And it was because of, I think, World War II. And right. they wanted to get people to enlist. And if you're looking up to these athletes, these football players who are feeling all patriotic about the national anthem, you know, maybe you think, oh, I want to go fight for my country. And so that's a, a good way, they thought, to get people to enlist in the army. But I don't know necessarily that is the best thing to do now. Like I, I, It's like I said, I haven't really thought about what would be better. I also feel privileged to, to grow up in this country. And, you know, mom and all of her side of the family, they're all from Morocco and they immigrated here. And they came here for, for an opportunity to have better education and, and a better life. And that's why grandpa and grandma decided to move the family here was because they wanted, you know, all of mom and her siblings to be able to get the kind of education, have the kind of life that they wanted. And, you know, I think they're doing pretty well for themselves. Like we have a bunch of uncles that are doctors, lawyers, pharmacists, you know, it's very fortunate for us that we've been able to 
have that side of the family come over to the States and be successful. And that's part of why I love this country is because I feel as though it's given my family a lot of opportunity after coming over from Morocco. But there are a lot of people in the States who don't feel that this country has done right by them. And, and for that reason, I can completely understand the opposite side of the coin, which is, you know, I've lived here my whole life and I feel like nothing has happened except for me getting screwed over. I completely see that perspective as well. So that's why I am saying now, like, I really haven't thought about what the alternative would be, just not playing the anthem at games. Like, it wouldn't not sit well with me. Like, I wouldn't have a problem with it. It's just something that I'm so used to at this point. I don't think twice. National anthem comes on, I stand up. That's kind of just been what's ingrained in me throughout my entire life, both growing up in the baseball world, going to City Field, Shea Stadium, new and old Yankee Stadium, hearing the anthem before the game. But understandably so, there are people who don't feel as patriotic as I do. I think that's the bottom line. It's like everyone is entitled to their opinion here. Everybody deserves to have their opinion respected. And I don't think it's necessarily the NBA's place to go and tell teams what to do or what not to do before the anthem. And even if the NBA says you have to play the anthem, there is a rule in the NBA rulebook that says players have to stand for the national anthem. And I believe it was a result of that Mahmoud Abdul Rauf controversy. Yes. When Abdul Rauf was not like I, you said, he turned his back. And, and I think it was born out of that controversy. That rule doesn't really get enforced, but I don't necessarily think it's up to the players. I mean, it, it's up to the league to decide what the players do during the national anthem. I understand that the players are employees of the team and the league. And if the league wants to, they can find them. But it comes to a point where it's more than just conduct at work. Like it's not, it's not just, it's not the same thing, right? Like I think here's maybe an outlandish parallel, but I'm going to give it anyway, because I think it kind of gets across what I'm trying to say. If you work, for example, at Target or Best Buy or Walmart or whatever the case may be, and they played the national anthem every morning when you clocked into work. And not only did you have to be there on time for the national anthem to be played, but you had to stand and put your hand on your heart before the national anthem. People would think that's ridiculous, right? I don't understand why that changes in NBA, MLB, NFL, NHL, all these sports leagues. What is different about the sporting events that makes it so that the national anthem needs to be played. And, and that's not even saying this is my opinion. I'm just saying I think that's a, a fair parallel we can draw is like there's no other workplace aside from if you are an active duty service member or work in the military where you play the national anthem so regularly. So why is it now a controversy that an NBA team doesn't want to do that? For a lot of these people, it's just work. And, and I owe an apology to uh, Mahmoud Adura. Oof, uh, he uh, would actually sit, not turn his back on the national anthem. And he worked out a compromise with the NBA. And uh, that compromise was that he would stand, but he could bow his head and close his eyes and recite Islamic prayers, which is fine. You You see a lot of guys in the NBA in every sport. They use that time to... Uh, level off to either get themselves excited or get themselves grounded or get themselves in game mode. So, you know, that was, I apologize for saying he turned his back. He didn't turn his back. He was sitting uh, during the national anthem and he was uh, suspended and whatnot, but he worked out a deal with the NBA. Uh, but, you know, we hear it before every game, Max. We hear it before everything. Is it played too much? 
should it be reserved for big games, playoff games, for uh, things like that? Or should we continue to just play the national anthem? Because, look, this is our country. We're privileged to be in this country. We're blessed with the talent to be able to be free and play in this country. So is it played too much? Or do we just continue the way it is and and try and figure out how to make everything better? Yeah, I mean, well, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on on what I had just said about, like, you know, for most people, this is just work. And a lot of people don't go into the workplace and have to listen to the national anthem. And I'll actually add on one more thing before I, I get your response, which is a lot of people in America hear the national anthem and don't feel that sense of patriotism that you and I feel. So obviously what, like, what do you say to those people who they clock into work and they have to listen to the national anthem, which not only might be something where they don't feel any patriotism toward it, but they might feel, you know, not great about it. They might resent the national anthem. They might feel as though it's a tool of oppression. And that was one of the things yes. that Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf said was that it, it is a song that is a vehicle of oppression for the people who think that and have to listen to the song when they clock into work, like that's a that's a tough situation to put these guys in. And I know there are going to be people who say, well, these guys are making millions of dollars. They can suck it up for 90 seconds. But like, I agree with you, but it's also the principle of the thing. Like, yes, obviously these guys are making a ton of money, but that doesn't mean that their opinions and their feelings should be discounted. They're people too. Absolutely. But most people, when they clock into work, aren't performing in front of anywhere between ten and 80,000 fans, or if you're at uh, the big house, 100,000 fans. So I think that uh, <laughs> in that respect, you know, when I clock into work, uh, uh, you know, I'm performing in front of a camera. I don't know how many people that goes out to, but it, uh, you know, I, I don't listen to the national anthem before I sit down and do my sports report. But I, I don't have a problem with it. For me, it's become commonplace. Like, it gets you ready for the game. Not only am I, you know, I'm happy with living in this country most of the time, uh, but, you know, it, it, it's almost become, you know, a symbol of the game instead of a symbol for what it stands for. And, uh, you know, there for a long time, you thought that, you know, the, the last two words of the national anthem were play ball. So I don't know. I, I don't know if it's played too much. I don't know if we take it for granted. And I don't know if we take our country for granted. But, you know, one thing I know for sure is that this controversy won't go away, Max. It'll continue to uh, be present because there are people who feel that, that song doesn't represent them. This country uh, hasn't done right by them. And for certain groups of people, that's probably true. I mean, when I go and pay my taxes, I feel like my, my country betrayed me. But that's a completely different story. But, you know, that this controversy over the national anthem will continue. But, you know, for the Dallas Mavericks, who hadn't played the national anthem for a few games, they said that when fans came back into the game... It, it, you know, there was nobody in the building other than the players, the referees, and the people working there. So, you know, they made it seem like they don't need to play this because they're not playing to anybody. And now when you watch a broadcast on TV, if it's not a huge game, 99.9% .9 of the time, you never see the national anthem. You don't even know it's played. So I don't know what the answer is. I just know that it'll continue to be a vehicle for players to voice their opinions. 
and it'll also be a vehicle for people to show their patriotism. Yeah, I think so. And I think now's as good a time as any to go to the uh, last national anthem of the year, which was in the in NFL the national football. In the Super Bowl. Yeah. And one quick thing before we actually talk about the game, which is you had mentioned that sports books put prop bets out for the length of the national anthem. Will it be over or under two minutes? All of the sports books took that bet off the books this year because somebody went to the stadium in Tampa, Raymond James Stadium, while they were rehearsing uh-huh. and recorded a video outside <laughs> of the stadium of the national anthem rehearsal and posted it on TikTok. And obviously it went viral. And everybody in the comments was like, bet the over, bet the over, bet the over, because the over-under was two minutes and the rehearsal came out to like 2.15. And the real national anthem came out to like 2.24 or something like that. And when that TikTok went viral, all of the sports books took that prop bet off of the books. <laughs> I was not aware of that. I just know that that, that is one of the prop bets, and I, I think it's hilarious. And, uh, you know, Whitney Houston's is still one of the longest, I believe. And, and that's become a thing. It's, you know, they've gotten these huge performers to perform the national anthem. And it's a it's a big announcement. It's, uh, you know, a big thing. Who's going to sing the national anthem? So, you know, the national anthem was played by, I believe, two, mu- two musicians at this year's Super Bowl. I don't even remember. No, who- it was. It was. It was. It was two musicians. Uh, one of them. It was actually it was a very interesting combo because it was Jasmine Sullivan who was who's like an, an R&B singer and Eric and, Church and, and, and country, a country singer. yeah and that's I yeah, remembered I, it being something like two worlds colliding almost <laughs> it w- it was a very strange combination but first of all I love Jasmine Sullivan's music I think she's got a great voice and I I am a big fan of a lot of her songs I don't yeah I can't say I listen to Eric Church that much but even though it was a weird combination of like singers and music styles I think it worked really well I, it was fun, and it's always fun to to hear that before the big game. And and I love when they they pan down the the players to see what you know what they're doing. Now, you know Pete Rozelle instituted that all the players had to stand and have their their helmets under their arms. Now that you know they they have people on the sideline that you know man the helmets is like when a player's going to the game. No, 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 here's your helmet, so they don't have to hold their helmets anymore. But uh, you know it's always fun to see that. But uh, Max, we were both wrong on this game. I was and, very wrong, and, and it, pro- just, it, it, it probably started right after the national anthem. Well, look, I I need I feel like I need to issue a formal apology and maybe issue a statement from the desk of, desk of Max Brill for my ridiculous claims last week and the week before, in which I said I think there's no way that the Chiefs lose this game because the Chiefs very much lost the game. It was bad. It was really bad. Although I will say that. It was not due to Patrick Mahomes. Like, if you hit your guys in the head or the chest and they drop the ball, oh, the face mask. not really a whole lot you can do about that. But the Bucks just, I mean, the Bucks just flat out outplayed the Chiefs. And part of that was because the Chiefs were missing offensive linemen. And so they weren't able to give Mahomes any time in the pocket. I saw a great statistic on Twitter over the weekend, or I guess, I guess earlier this week, where it said that Patrick Mahomes actually ran over 400 yards in the pocket, 468 yards in the pocket. And Brady traveled 37 yards in the pocket before throws. I mean, that just is is a perfect encapsulation of how this game went because Mahomes was running around in the pocket and then he would just like 
throw up a prayer downfield. And a lot of the throws he made were actually pretty good considering the kind of pressure he was under. But his guys weren't doing him any favors. They dropped a bunch of passes. And it's hard to win games when you don't have any time in the pocket. I don't even think God himself could have won that game as the Chiefs quarterback. Because, I mean, they, Mahomes just had no time in the pocket. I did pick the Kansas City Chiefs to win that game, of course, 31-24. to 24. I got the 31 right. It was the wrong team, but I did get that right. And, and you're, you're right. Patrick Mahomes did have no time. I did warn you about Tampa Bay's defense, and we agreed to disagree that Tampa Bay even had a chance in this game, and I believed that they did, uh, although I didn't pick them to win, so let's be clear about that. But the Kansas City Chiefs also did not make any adjustments. When you watch the defense, they're playing, you know, basically two high safeties, knowing that Patrick Mahomes is going to throw the ball. And the few times that he did run for first downs, it's because it was wide open. And when you try and run up the middle, which they were able to run a little bit, and they probably ran as much as they normally do, uh, you know, although they did only have... 107 rushing yards in the game. Mahomes had 33 of those. That tells you something right there. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire had 64. But they had a hard time running the ball. They know that Kansas City is going to throw the ball. They know he's going to try and get at Travis Kelsey. And they were playing such where they didn't get the ball into their hands of their playmakers. But by the same token, they didn't make any adjustments either. You have to adjust when you're offense isn't going in the right direction you know use your running game as a short passing game the other problem was that they had to use their running backs to help the pass rush now you can also use your running back to chip and get out in you know into the flat get out somewhere where you can get three four yards uh, on a a pass or a first, you know, on a first, second, or third down play to try and pick up a first down. But they, they, I didn't see any adjustments. They still tried to force the ball in, but you're right. Uh, I think every receiver dropped a ball somewhere along the line. I know Travis Kelsey dropped a big one uh, that would have been a first down. And, you know, and there were others that dropped a bunch of balls. So it's, it's not going to you – know, you're not doing your quarterback or your team any favors if you're not hanging on to the ball. Yeah, you, you can't really expect to win a game only scoring nine points, but uh, I just don't think that people are giving Mahomes enough credit because it was not his fault that they didn't win this game. Oh, agreed. Like, he, he made a lot of good throws under pressure, and if you were watching towards the end of the game, I know it was hard to watch in the fourth quarter, but he made some insane throws under pressure, like falling away, falling down, just throwing it up. And you thought, there's no way this goes anywhere near any of his guys. And it, it, it hits them in the, in the hands or the chest, and they just drop. I mean, I, I know there was one earlier in the game, I think it was the first or second quarter, where Mahomes threw one to Tyreek after scrambling out of the pocket. And it literally went through his hands, yep. hit him in the face mask, and then dropped. And that would have been a touchdown. It was just a few games that made or broke the game. But, you know, you do have to give credit where it's due. The Buccaneers have an excellent pass rush. And they were able to just completely expose the Chiefs' offensive line. I don't know. I feel. I mean, part of this is just you know me wanting to be right, but I can't really shake the idea that if Eric Fisher was healthy, you know, maybe the Chiefs win this game because I do think that's what it came down to at the end of the day was the offensive line. And if the Chiefs had all of their offensive line healthy and playing in the Super Bowl, I think they win the game. 
And it, another thing that I had wanted to say was that people don't appreciate how much a good offensive line makes a difference or even how much your regular offensive linemen make a difference. The Chiefs are a good team and they've had a solid offensive line. I would, I would even say above average. And when you start missing those guys, nobody thinks like, oh, we're missing an O-lineman, like we're, we're screwed. But they make a huge difference. And we saw that in this game because they were just not able to contain anybody. And even if they had tried to run the ball, Dad, like you said, I don't know how much push they would have gotten on the O-line. Like you could definitely have your backs chip and then run out into the flat and throw screens and stuff like that. You even still for that need time in the pocket. And and Patrick Mahomes was just not getting any of it. So give credit where it's due. The Bucks defensive front was excellent and the Chiefs defense was not good. So the Bucks definitely deserve to win this game. They they earned that win. But I, I would have liked to see how different the game might have ended if the Chiefs had everyone on their O line healthy. Yeah, when you look at it, the offensive line problems of the Chiefs created two issues. One, you couldn't run the ball. Two, all Tampa Bay had to do was rush four. Knowing that Patrick Mahomes is going to try and pass the ball, they put seven men in the field to play. It's hard to find a guy open when there's, you have seven defenders that you have to account for before you throw the ball. So that was you know, a big, big part of that game was they were able to double-team Travis Kelsey. They were able to double-team Tyreek Hill. They were able to you know, double-team and be in the area where it was hard to fit balls in. And that was a big problem for uh, Patrick Mahomes. Now, if the offensive line of the Chiefs was able to give Mahomes a little bit more time, he can communicate with his receivers downfield and see where they're going, anticipate that, and then hit them in stride. But he didn't have that kind of time. He was pressured. He dropped back 49 times in this game, pressured on nearly 30 of them. That doesn't make for success. Certainly not. So, you know, he only complete he completed, you know, just over 50 percent of his passes. And that's on Patrick Mahomes like, too. Now, when you continue uh, consider the three, four or five drops, it should have been more than that. But. That also could have changed the game a little bit because they would have gotten first downs or they would have moved down the field a little bit more. So I think that definitely give Tampa Bay credit. They knew the weakness in Kansas City. They exploited that weakness. And Tom Brady was able to pick them apart. And they gave Tom Brady the MVP. Yeah, he probably three touchdowns, 201 yards. I think that the, the running game of Tampa Bay helped them out a great deal. Because they kept drives alive, they were able to pick up first downs, and the running game did some serious damage. So, you know, 145 yards on the ground, although we knew that Kansas City was susceptible to the run. I do want to ask you, what do you think of the refereeing in this game? It was awful. there There were a lot of people who were very, very unhappy with the first half. They thought the referees were completely unfair to the Chiefs, and they thought that they were just bailing out Brady and the Bucks again. I don't think the refs lost this game for the Chiefs, but I'm just curious to hear what your take is. Well, on you the go back. Game. You go back to that that pass interference call right before the half, where Brady had a minute to go down. I think it was a minute to go down the the field after Kansas City kicked the field goal, and I think it was Mike Evans who got free. Probably had one step on the defender. They tangled feet, and he went down. 
That's incidental. That was not pass interference. I don't. They were running stride for stride. And they threw the flag because Mike Evans fell to the turf. There had to be pass interference somewhere. There wasn't. That was incidental contact. Now, I couldn't understand if he grabbed him, if he held on to him, if there was something else there. But when feet get, you guys are running stride for stride, your feet get tangled. There, there's not a ton you can do. He didn't trip him. He didn't attempt to trip him. I just think that's an awful call, and it set up another touchdown for uh, the Buccaneers. And I just, that's the epitome of what was going on. Now, Kansas City's known for holding and grabbing and doing all that stuff. I just think that the refs called a few too many. I just think that they they really got away from, you know, looking at plays and saying, eh, that was, you know, that's okay, that's not. There were 11, 11 penalties for 120 yards. That's a I ton. Was about to, I was about to say that. I mean, 11 penalties for 120 yards. In the Super Bowl. Game. You're not winning a game with those kind of numbers. But on the other side, the Bucks only had four penalties for 39 yards. Like, do you really think that they played that clean of a game or were the refs being tough on the Chiefs? Like, I think the refs were being tough on the Chiefs in the first half. I think they threw a ton of flags. Now, I don't have the halftime stats, how many flags were thrown for holding or pass interference in uh, the first half. But I, that one before the half really, really irked me because I don't. There was there was no contact. It almost looked like you know Mike their, their feet touched, and then Mike Elvin said, "Oh, I, there was contact. I'm going to fall, and hopefully I'll get a flag." The ball was overthrown anyway, so that that one that one really irked me. I thought that the the refs were being a little picky, but you know that's my opinion. And maybe if you go back to the tape, you can make a, a, a strong case for every single one of those flags. I don't think you can make a case for that one. And that was that had to be a, a, a 30, 40-yard penalty, easily. And that, that cost the Chiefs a touchdown. Now, Yeah, and, and potentially the game. I mean, that was a huge momentum swing going into the locker room at halftime. And I know there are a lot of folks who don't even believe that momentum is a real thing. But if you're of the persuasion that momentum is real, then you certainly have to think that that played a, a hand in the Chiefs' second half, you know, misery. Yeah, without a doubt. And look, you know, the Chiefs shot themselves in the foot. You can't go, you know, in the Super Bowl, you can't go 0 for 3 in the red zone and expect to win a game. It just doesn't well, happen. I, do, I don't think you can do that really in any game, let alone the Super Bowl. Right. Right. Over three in the red zone is not a recipe for success. Nope. So we will agree that both of us got it quite wrong. Although, I was so wrong. I was like offensively wrong. It was bad. <laughs> I did think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had a shot. I didn't think they had this good a shot. I hope you didn't listen to our podcast and decide, well, I'm going to bet on this game because Andrew and Max said there's no way that Kansas City can lose this game. So we hope that you didn't lose money on our account. And maybe this just goes to show you just bet against us. But yeah, next. well, I mean, look, if you fade us, that's probably not a bad idea. <laughs> but the uh, I just, just want to make one point before we, we, we wrap things up is uh, I, I did get the Mets schedule today. Uh, they begin uh, against Washington on April 1st. They will host the Chicago Cubs for the first time this season, your new team, uh, June 14th through 17th with a four-game four set at City Field, that's when the Mets will 
first see the Chicago Cubs this season. So uh, your new team, the Chicago Cubs, which, you know, you can still be a Met fan, but you're going to have to do work for the Cubs. Yeah, I well, I mean, I don't I think I'm not politically allowed to say anything like I will still be a Mets fan, but I can, you know, you, you grow up, you grow up, a, you grow up a fan of a team. It's hard not to like them anyway. And you know, the Mets and Cubs aren't even in the same division. So it's, uh, it's fine. You know, when the, when the Cubs play the Mets, I'll, I'll just bite my tongue. And then, you know, when they're not playing each other, go Cubs, go Mets. But yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited for baseball season. It's right around the corner. I usually say right after the Super Bowl ends, it's uh it's time for baseball. So you know, I'm I'm always looking forward to to more baseball. Looking forward to spring training, getting up and running. And uh, one last thing, I have one last question for you before uh, before we go, which is, who do you think will win the Super Bowl in 2022? I need your your way too early prediction. Oh, geez. And and the Giants is not a correct answer. Just so you know. Wow. I don't I don't think it's going to be Green Bay. Um, I, I got a feeling now I, I, I haven't really, uh, jumped into this at all. And I, I think that the Rams could come back and, you know, make some noise, it, but you have to think that the chiefs can get back there again, uh, especially with Pat Mahomes and his crew. I think most of them are coming back. So, you know, if I had to just off the top of my head without thinking about it, you know, I, I think it's one of those two teams, but don't count out the Buffalo bills. I think that they could be very well be a strong candidate to get to the Super Bowl next year. Yeah, I'm with you. I'll definitely pick the Chiefs for 2022 as my favorites, but there are some some dark horses that I think could make some noise. Rams and Bills were two of my picks. I think the Rams with Matt Stafford will be a very interesting team to watch. He's got a great arm, and Sean McVay is a great coach, so that's going to be a cool pairing to watch. And then, I, you know, I think the Browns. Could, could make some noise. OBJ will be back. They were really solid this past year, and they were just one missed penalty call away from knocking off the Chiefs. So they, they could make some noise in 2022. This has been another episode of Podcast by Committee with Andrew and Max Brill. Make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, any other place, we're there. And rate review us on Apple while you're at it. It'll only take a couple seconds, so go on over there and give us five stars. If you want to connect with us, we're on Instagram at podcast underscore by underscore committee and Twitter at pod by committee, or you can reach out to us via email hosts at podcastbycommittee.com. Thanks again for listening to Podcast by Committee. Thanks again to Mason Pettit for the introduction, Kevin McLeod for the music, and shout out to Hal Aaron O'Feel for the graphics. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Until then, stay safe.